one, getting settled in here, you can turn to uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you want to stand with me, I'll read uh, Matthew 7, and we'll do 13. I'm going to read all the way to 28. Yeah. <clears throat> Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. And good trees cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts upon them, will be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against the house and it fell and great was its fall and the result of that what the result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teachings. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've spoken and that we um, have it recorded that we can live out these truths that you share. I just pray you prepare our hearts and soften them as um, we can live a life that reflects your love um, to those out there. In Jesus' name, amen. So setting the scene for our passage today in chapter 7, we can actually go all the way back to chapter 5 of Matthew. And in the beginning there, we see, actually in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says here, a great multitude followed him, Jesus, from Galilee into Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And when he saw multitudes, the multitudes, he went up from the mountain, and after that he sat down, and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. So picturing the scene now, we have a multitude of people coming from all sorts of places, like uh, from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, from beyond the Jordan River. They've all come, and Jesus has now gathered them all together, and he is now teaching them along with the disciples. So Jesus actually, this is one of Jesus' longest sermons recorded. He actually goes for two full chapters, all the way to our passage now, which actually is the conclusion of his teaching. 
And so to help make sense of our passage, I've actually split it into three sections. The first section from verses 13 to 14 will be, I call the choice that the crowd must make. The second section, verses 15 to 20, is called uh, the false prophets. And the third section, I've also, I've called uh, entering the kingdom of heaven, which will be verses 21 to 23. So our first section, the choice, starts in verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life fewer those who find it. So the first observation I don't want you to miss is that Jesus says there's two ways that lead to two opposing destinations. You can't also be at both paths at the same time. You can only be on one or the other. And one direction has a wide path and a wide gate. This path leads to destruction. The other has a narrow path and a small gate, and this path leads to life. Jesus' illustration of the wide and the narrow path is actually describing the options or the ways of life that people can live and where it will actually lead them. So to define the wide path, I actually would say that it's every single way of life outside of the, of the commands of Jesus. So an example of this in our world is what I would, I would call a pluralistic society. I'll say that again, a pluralist, plural, pluralistic society. So in other words, it's a society that has many truths. Each truth is according to each person. They can have their own truth. Each person lives and, and, and goes about speaking and living by their own truth. Another way of saying it, I've seen people say, like uh, my friends, they've said, well, I can live however I want, and as long as it doesn't affect your life, like what's the difference? Why does it matter? As long as I'm not hurting anybody, why should I care, or why should you care what I do? Or another way of saying it is, another saying I've heard is that all religions are fundamentally the same. So it doesn't matter how you live, whether you worship Allah or um, Jehovah's Witness or whatever, they all lead to God and you can all be right in the same way. And so based on what Jesus is teaching on his sermon, which we will dive into a little bit more, Jesus actually would think that's a pretty wide and broad way of life. Hence the wide path. And Jesus knows that this path will lead to death. So instead of that path, the narrow path now actually leads to life, and that consists of one truth and one way. So I would define the narrow path as one way of life, the commands of Jesus. And up to our passage, Jesus has actually been teaching the crowd on what it looks like to live this narrow path life. I'm going to give you four examples from his sermon. There are many examples in here. I encourage you to read it yourself, but I'll give you four examples. And you can follow along with me if you'd like, or you can just listen, and I'll walk you through it. 
The first one I want to walk you through is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, in the category of anger. So this is the narrow path that Jesus wants us to walk in the category of anger. So I'll read it here. 21 says, You have heard the ancient that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable by court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever will say, You fool, shall be guilty enough into the fiery hell. And before I keep going, you can see there that in verse 21, he says, if you commit murder, you are liable by the courts. So if you commit the physical act of murder, you're liable by the courts. He now ups the ante in 22, and he actually says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be guilty in the court. So now it's no longer the physical action, but the actual understanding of being angry with your brother has already committed the, the liability of, of in front of the court. It's the same as murder. Taking it a step further, and we have in um, 23 now, he says, if therefore you are pre presenting your offering at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So there we can see when he talks about presenting your offering, how that relates to us, we can actually call that worship. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you come to worship to meet with me on Sunday, but you know that you have something against, a brother has something against you. He said, set that worship aside and go and reconcile with that brother first. Then come to worship me. These again, this is a way of life that is narrow and hard and not uh, the world does not speak this type of life. But this is the narrowness that Jesus is talking about, about living for him and his truth. Next one, uh, in Matthew 5, we go to verse 28, in the category of adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery in, in, with her already in his heart. So again, this is very contrary to the way the world works. I, unfortunately, have talked to many married couples that at least say with their words that they do not feel that they've been offended if their spouse was to look at pornography or look to a woman or a man and think of them in a lustful way. This is a very contrary way to the world works. Now, whether these people are telling the full honest truth or if their hearts are still hurt by this, I'm not sure. Either way, Jesus is up in the ante again, saying it's not just the physical act in which actually creates, that makes you commit adultery. It's actually in your heart and in your mind of when you are lusting after that person. Again, showing them the narrow path of what it means to walk with him. Continuing forward, we go to verse 38 of chapter 5 in the category of retaliation. So there it says, You've heard that I said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn him the other. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, give him your coat, and whoever will force you to go a mile, go with him too, and give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away him who wants to borrow. So the world 
speaks this message of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Someone does this to you, you got to repay them back so they know exactly how you felt. But Jesus is narrowing this, showing you this narrow path of walking with him um, to not retaliate back. Now, I understand there are a lot of complexities within that passage, but I just wanted to show you the, uh, the concept of what it means to follow him in the area of retaliation. The last category I'll show you is uh, in loving your enemies. If you go down a little further, we'll start in verse 43. He says there, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and the sins reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax gatherers do the, do the same. This is a type of love that's uh, very evident in, uh, oh, sorry, the world speaks again a different type of love than what Jesus is talking about here. A good example of this, and an illustration I heard a long time ago, was this idea of a love bank. And we see this a lot, and I've been. Um, guilty of this as well, but when you're in relationships uh, and someone is loving you, it fills your love bank, which then gives you enough, that they, as they deposit, it gives you enough to cash out to love them back. And ultimately what happens is when that person stops loving you, you do not have enough deposit to love them back, and so you stop loving them. And what Jesus is saying here is, that's the same way when you, when he says, those who, um, if you love those who love you, what reward is that? So again, he's upping the ante up. What does it mean to actually love someone the way that Christ would actually want you to love? So through, through these teachings, you can see the path is narrow because it consists of one truth, the truth, and it's God's ways and Jesus' commands. So Jesus doesn't want you to take this path, though, just because he wants to control you into doing what he wants. God actually says in the Old Testament that all these commands he knows are what's best for us. And I'll read you that. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. So it's not to control us. It's not just to have him do whatever he wants. It's for our good. So, just like the crowd that day, when Jesus was teaching, Jesus is also giving us a choice to make. Will we take the narrow path and trust that God has our best interest when we obey his commandments, or do we trust in our own ways? Now, what we think is best for us, that's the choice that is laid before them and us. The next category is the false prophet. And we'll get that from verses 15 to 20. 
He says there, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, can, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So Jesus is the true prophet. He's the prophet that God foretold that would rise up after Moses, be like him. And so when Jesus says, beware, ultimately what he's doing is he's warning the crowds and us against people who will come and say they're speaking on behalf of God, but actually do not represent God. And in order for us to not be deceived, be deceived we will need to know um, how to discern this. And according to Jesus, how we discern this is actually based on the fruit that they express. So using our passage, I actually think we can define what good fruit is and bad fruit. So good fruit is when someone practices righteousness through obeying Jesus' commands. And where I get this from is actually when we learn what it is to do the bad fruit. So if we look, and I, I would say the opposite then for the bad, the bad fruit can be defined as practicing evil, anything outside of Jesus' commands. And so if we look at verse 19, he says there that every tree that does not bear good fruit, so a tree that bears bad fruit, is cut down. Likewise, the same thing happens in verse 23, when you have a person that comes to Jesus to enter the kingdom, he says, I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice evil. So the same outcome comes for the tree that does not produce good fruit. is one that treats bad, is cut down, and the person that practices evil is asked to depart from Jesus. So then if the bad is defined as practicing evil, then again, we have the good fruit and is practicing righteousness. Another benefit from that Jesus actually says in the, the Gospel of John, when we know that there that this prophet is is expressing good fruit, and another um, sort of filter system that actually helps us a lot is in John fifteen verse four. Jesus says this about uh, bearing good fruit. He says, "Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot." bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me so again if this prophet is bearing good fruit and um, practicing righteousness that means he is in Jesus Jesus is abiding in him and that is someone that we can trust likewise the bad fruit would express someone that is not connected to Jesus So to sum it up, if someone is a false prophet, the way they live their life in accordance to Jesus' commands will tell us if they represent God or not. And an example of this not applied correctly, you can see in our society today actually comes from 
um, Joseph Smith. People did not beware of him. Um, for those of you that don't know who Joseph Smith is, he's the founder and essentially creator of Mormonism and claimed he saw these visions and stuff from God. And um, he's actually, I've seen things where he's actually inserted himself in the Bible and changed actual words of it. Um, but again, not walking in any of Jesus' commandments and uh, leading people astray. So this does happen. And this, um, this is something that we can take serious and be aware of. So last category I have is entering the kingdom of heaven. We can see that there in verse 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice evil. So to enter the kingdom of God, it requires more than a verbal commitment. It actually requires your surrendered life expressed through the doing, expressed through doing the will of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is following the theme of his overall teaching from this entire sermon, and he's emphasizing the importance of how we live our lives out with God. And he gives two examples in these two verses of what happens when people use their own path to try to enter the kingdom of God and to be righteous. We see two examples of this. The first one, in verse 21, I call the verbal commitment. These are people that, in Jesus' words, call him Lord, Lord. So they are publicly proclaiming Jesus Lord over their life and they may say they love Jesus and they come to church and they pray and they do these things. But the difference is they don't have a heart towards God because they do not act on his words. Jesus actually says these things and, and later on in, in verse 24, he says, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is a wise man. Vice versa, in 26, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be a foolish man. So there's a clear link between hearing Jesus' words and acting upon them. Saying you love him, but actually acting on them. The second way that someone is in this, cat, in this passage is trying to be righteous we see it, I call it an outward spiritual action. So we see that in verse 22, with people that are prophesying, casting out demons, and performing miracles in the name of Jesus. These people are doing all these miraculous deeds externally to be right with God, but don't actually have a heart for him and his ways. And we, we know that because the very next verse, Jesus says, get away from me, you who practice evil. But despite all the things you're doing externally, your heart is not with me. Jesus actually says to love him is to follow his commands. It's not about a verbal 
expression of love. It's not about a feeling in your heart, whether you feel you love Jesus. Jesus says, if you follow, if you love me, you'll do as I command. And so Jesus makes this clear about what it looks like to love him through his commands and what it means to walk this narrow path that leads to life. The path that's narrow is one truth and not many. And it's not about the things that we think that we can do to be right with him, but doing the will that he has set out for us and loving him. And Jesus wants what's best for us, and he actually desires us to live. You can see that in the very first thing he said to them in verse 13. He says them before he's described anything. He says, enter by the narrow gate. He says, enter by it because he knows that leads to life. So I'll sum up our passage with three lessons. Lesson number one, to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must do the will of the Father by loving Jesus and all that he commands. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we must do the will of the Father by loving Jesus and all that he commands. Not by what we think, not by our truth, expressing good fruit will be one who lives a righteous life obeying Jesus' commands. A prophet expressing good fruit will be one who lives a righteous life obeying Jesus' commands. This is someone that we can trust, we know is connected to Christ. <clears throat> and we don't have to worry about him leading us astray from the narrow path. The last lesson is a, a little bit of a flip on the first one. But any practice of life outside of the teaching and commands of Jesus will exclude you from the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't matter um, like all, the, all the different ways that the different faiths claim that they will. Jesus says these paths will all lead to destruction. So any practice outside the life, or sorry, any practice of life outside the teaching and commands of Jesus will exclude you from the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for um, just revealing yourself and uh, making yourself known, and uh, you're not hiding, and you make it clear what it looks like to love you and to love other people, and we're just grateful for that. Um, I pray now as we walk away that your words will be heavy on our hearts and that um, we will think deeply about what it means to be in relationship with you and how that affects the way we walk and, uh, and the way we interact with people. So we're grateful for the, the privilege and the honor to love others in your name and um, thankful for your forgiveness and you the example that you set, that we can walk in that as well. And, uh, let's pray that we can 
draw near to you and draw near to the cross when the um, ill times of temptation, the way things that are drawing us away from you. So.